Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Breeders, we're here for you. Whether you're a seasoned breeder or planning your very first litter, let the Trupanion policy give you peace of mind with their additional breeding rider. This covers concerns such as emergency C-sections. Trupanion also provides an exclusive breeder support program just for breeders that lets you provide your litters with a special offer of their insurance. So you can take comfort knowing that your litters are getting the best care possible in their new homes. And signing up couldn't be any easier. Just click the Trupanion link on my partner page. And don't forget to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super thrilled. We have a great show today. I am being joined by Dr. James Cook, who is the director at University of Missouri Thompson Laboratory for Regenerative Orthopedics. Okay, I get all those words out. <laughs> and Eddie Zook, who is the Chief Operating Officer at the Orthopedic Foundation for Animals. And these guys are going to talk to us today about an amazingly exciting study that's being conducted by Dr. Cook, searching for the biomarkers for hip dysplasia in our dogs that is potentially earth-shatteringly groundbreaking for us as dog breeders. So welcome, gentlemen. I am so thrilled to have you here. Dr. Cook, talk to us about this study. I know you released in 2019, you published the results of a pilot that you did on this project. Yeah, so this really is the holy grail for us. And we're super excited about it. The pilot study involved 14 dogs. And so I should mention that our laboratory is interested in biomarkers across a spectrum of orthopedic problems. And we say we work on both four-leggers and two-leggers. Which I think is actually amazing that this research that you're doing is applicable not just to dogs, but to people. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. And the coolest part is that it can help both at the same time make the research progress more quickly because dogs are such a good representation of people and vice versa. And the cool thing that we found so far is actually the same biomarker. So people get hip dysplasia as well, too. Mm -hmm. In fact, we're understanding that that is a primary cause of what we thought was just aging arthritis in the past. Wow. And so the cool thing is so far, the biomarkers that work for dogs work for people. And so that's really both giving us more validity and sped up the process a bit as well, too. That is just amazing. And I want our listeners to understand clearly, what do you mean when you talk about a biomarker? What does that entail? Yeah. So specifically, what we're going to talk today about what we're doing in the study would be proteins in the blood, urine, or joint fluid. But when we really talk about biomarker, that's anything we can measure in the body that tells us something that can be either a diagnostic, prognostic, treatment decision-making, or screening. And for us, the cool thing is, again, is that for hip dysplasia, we're trying to do all of those. Right. We're trying to address the population. 
which is certainly OFA's big mission and what we're kind of putting the umbrella under, then we want to help the individual patient as well too. We want to help owners and their veterinarians decide if to intervene surgically or medically, when to intervene surgically or medically, and then what that dog can expect in terms of an outcome, you know, with their hip disease. Should this dog go into military service or performance or field trialing right. based on the hip status? And so we're really trying to do an all-encompassing place. But today, back to the specific question is we're trying to look at proteins And here, the cool thing is we're able to do it in blood and urine. So we don't even have to go to joint fluid because that's harder to get, more painful. The dog requires sedation, whereas this is a simple blood draw or... Pee in a cup, man. (laughs) Pee in a cup. (laughs) Exactly. And so that's exciting for us, for sure. You know, I just think that the potential... So if I understood and I read the results of your study, and I'm not smart enough to figure out most of it, but if I understood it correctly, the proteins that you're measuring are from inflammation and deterioration of the cartilage. Is that correct? The cartilage, yeah. And the pilot study really validated and focused us is a couple of things we found out. The coolest thing is that actually the best biomarkers are from urine. Ha. So back to your man, if we can just pee in a cup and tell you what's going to happen to your dog's hips, wow. I mean, that is the holy grail. That is the holy grail. <laughs> but then your second point is that we understood that, one, we have to do a panel. There's no silver bullet, you know, like a prostate antigen test for people. Right. There's not one biomarker that's going to tell us this whole story. Okay. It has to be multiple biomarkers. It has to be a panel. And it has to involve different areas. So just what you talked about, we have to look at inflammation, degradation or deterioration, and then actually synthesis. So once we combine all those and mesh them through some complicated but very effective statistical analysis, then we can say, if we take this panel, these two biomarkers are going up, this one's going down, and this one goes up a little bit later, then we can use the crystal ball for hip dysplasia. Wow. Okay. So in your pilot study, I mean, we understand it's a low number of dogs. The 14 dogs isn't statistically significant, but it was really encouraging because what I understood it was in the like 90% that it was accurate. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, that's why we have to do this big study and why we're so happy to partner with OFA because we can do this. And it's funny because Eddie told me from the start, we said, we really need probably about 500 dogs, you know, is this possible? And he goes, yeah, it's no problem. Easy. He's right. (laughs) And do you still need to, I mean, this is one of the things I want to know. Do you still want submissions? Because I have lots and lots of listeners who I know I'd be glad to send my dog's blood. (laughs) So yes, absolutely. We're about halfway there, which is amazing to me. So again, Eddie was dead on, right? And he knows his business well. He does. So we're about halfway there. We're just over 250 dogs. So we do need about another 250-ish or so. We can get these details out to you, but they have to be between four to six months of age. Okay. That's the good news for the outcome is that that's when we're able to predict it. So our study, the 14-dog pilot study, showed that specifically in male dogs, and that's what we also got to get more data for, in the females especially, but in male dogs, yeah, with over 90% accuracy at five months of age with a urine sample, we were able to predict hip dysplasia status at two years of age. So it really is a crystal ball. I just got goosebumps. I'm so, I really yeah. did. I'm serious. We did, too. we did too when it came out. You know, this is one of those where the findings are better than you hope for in the early data, and so we're really encouraged. So Yeah, but the bad news for enrolling in this study is 
it is that narrow window. We're only enrolling dogs between four and six months of age because that's really the target we have to get to. And then we follow them. So we follow you out. And OFA is being amazing about giving some great incentives to do that with evaluations and registries. And then we'll follow them at one year and two years and look at hip status and then bring all that data back and say, you know, does this apply to all dogs of all breeds and males and females? So that's our goal with the 500. Absolutely incredible. Listeners, we are going to have contact information for you in the show notes. And when they get their urine sample or their blood sample, do they send it to you at the University of Missouri or do they send it to OFA? So Eddie, I'll have you jump in there. (laughs) There you go. Eddie, now it's your turn. (laughs) You mentioned that enrollment information would be found in the show notes, but right now the primary means of communication, getting the information out to dog owners and dog breeders is on the homepage of the OFA website. Perfect. Which is www.ofa.org. And right on the top, if you sort of visualize that homepage up towards the top, towards the right-hand section, there's actually a big block that says the University of Missouri is now accepting enrollment applications for the MU OFA hip dysplasia biomarker study. And if you click on that, you'll get a little more information about the study itself, as well as the enrollment application. So like Dr. Cook mentioned, we're targeting approximately 500 dogs. This is to carry out and basically extend and the information that they got from that pilot study with the low number, hopefully getting 500 dogs. And again, this is a very long-term study. It's going to take two years until we get sort of the final output of this, but that'll give us some great information then going forward after that. So again, OFA homepage, www.ofa.org, upper right-hand section, that's where you would access the actual enrollment application. As Dr. Cook mentioned, it's really critical. While a dog can be younger than six months of age at the time of enrollment, that first set of samples that we're looking to collect, that has to be done in that four to six month window. Perfect. We are looking for serum, urine, and then whole blood. So the serum and the urine samples go to Dr. Cook's lab. And interestingly enough, while Dr. Cook, we didn't mention this early on in the introductions, but Dr. Cook is a veterinarian, but he has a dual appointment and he's actually working The Thompson Orthopedic Institute is part of the med school at Mizzou. Right. (laughs) So the urine and serum samples will be going to Dr. Cook's lab. And then separately, that whole blood sample will then be collected. And that will become part of the chick DNA repository, which goes over to the vet school. So basically, when dogs enroll in the program, they're participating in the ongoing study that Dr. Cook is doing. And they're also making DNA available for other future studies as well. I love that. So that that set of three samples, (laughs) yeah, urine, serum, and the whole blood are actually being sent initially to Dr. Cook's lab. And then the whole blood piece gets forwarded on to the vet over basically across the street to the vet school for DNA extraction and long-term storage in the Chick DNA repository. So this is really a multi-purpose thing. I didn't realize that. I think that's amazing, Eddie. Well, you know, we just figured if people are going through the process of getting those samples drawn anyway, hell, we may as well have them participate in the DNA bank. Love it. These samples available to everybody in the future as well. I love it. Love that approach too. And well, also, even beyond that is that we also bank, so we have a biobank here, but we will bank serum and urine as well too, because the next step may be elbow dysplasia or spinal disease. And so we will save that in the repository or other potential future studies as well, too, because we hope to 
you know, really address hip dysplasia and then move on because we know there's a lot of things that affect dogs, right? And so especially with different breeds, so we're going to do that. When you enroll in the study, there's a great little informational sheet that goes to your veterinarian. So they know exactly how to draw, how to process it and get it to us as well too. So hopefully we've made it pretty straightforward and simple to get going. That's perfect. That was actually my next question. And there will be a link for people who read this and they can just click and go right to it. So that'll be amazing. And so super important to time this out. I'm just thinking we have eight week old Spinoni puppies. All right. In two months, I need to get them in. (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, please. Excellent. And do you have any requests? So different breeds, rare breeds, mixed breeds, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing is the age thing is pretty strict, but everything else is wide open. And that's a part of the 500 is that then we can do some sub analyses. But yeah, we want anything because we want as best a representation as we can be. You know, that's a limitation of the pilot studies. And they were only 14 dogs and they were only labs. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, we've got to tease out the rest of this so that hopefully it's really generalizable and we can say, listen, this applies to all breeds, all comers, and we can tell you what's going on with your dog. Excellent. Yeah, I can tell you just from the dogs that we've got in there so far, and Dr. Cook mentioned about 250. So really there's this window of like 250 to 350. So 250 approximately dogs that have been enrolled and where we have that initial set of samples in hand. And then we've got another hundred or so dogs that have actually enrolled, but because of their birth dates and so forth, they're not quite in that window yet where it's time to submit samples or they're in that window between four and six months and we're waiting on samples. So of the dogs, you know, I haven't done any in-depth analysis, but just gut instinct based upon all the stuff that I see come across my desk and so forth. We're seeing a really interesting, just random spread. We do, in fact, have mixed breed dogs, but we've got large dogs, we've got toy dogs, we've got, you know, the heavy dogs, Mm -hmm. we've got your typical retrievers and goldens, which always participate in studies at great numbers and so forth. So it's really very well represented across the species in general. Well, and I think that has to be, and Dr. Cook speak to this, but that to me would seem so important to make this research statistically accurate. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's another thing Eddie promised me and came through on. He said, well, I promise you we'll get a good spread. Because we were concerned about that because we had only done the lab, mm-hmm. you know, and we said, this is great, but if it only is applying to males of one breed, it's not awesome. So yeah, it's huge and it's come through again, better than I expected, which is really neat to see and makes us even more excited about the end result. Well, I'll tell you what, Pure Dog Talk listeners, we're going to flood the zone, man. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Are you ready to take your breeding program to the next level and decode your dogs? Embark is celebrating DNA Month with reduced tiered pricing during their annual sale. Stock up and save all month long with exclusive offers to celebrate. Embark's industry-leading full-panel dog DNA test identifies health risks physical traits, and genetic diversity for breeding programs. Embark helps breeders select ideal breeding pairs to support healthy pedigrees and the lifelong care of dogs. Did you know you can plan for coat color, type, and other traits in your puppies? That's where Embark comes in. Don't miss our annual DNA Month sales event. To get up to speed before you breed, visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGTALK 
to enjoy $20 off of each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PureDogTalk. So from OFA's perspective, you're just helping drive the dogs to the study. Is that right, Eddie? You know, we each have our specific roles and responsibilities, and obviously the major part of the study and the research is all being done over at Dr. Cook's lab. But the role that the OFA is taking on is the initial recruitment work, which is being done primarily through our website. The initial enrollment materials and paperwork comes to the OFA. So we're actually maintaining these dogs within the existing OFA database because that infrastructure was all set up to record owners and dogs and dog information. All that stuff was already in place. So we're treating basically participation in this program just like we would any other health record on a dog, whether a hip record or an eye record or a cardiac record. Right. So that becomes their participation record. We then do that initial communication where we send out the packet to the owner, where we take on that role, that initial communication where we let the owners know where to send the samples. We send them the barcodes to affix to the samples, and we send out the veterinary instructions on how those samples should be collected, what types of samples, and how they should be shipped. Following that, once everything is in place, then there's another waiting period. So you're collecting those samples, the bio samples, the tissue samples and so forth from the dogs at that four to six month window. And then following that, we will be back in touch with the owners. There's then that required radiograph that needs to be taken at approximately 12 months, where we're going to actually do a traditional regular OFA prelim evaluation. We'll record that data. And by participating in the study, the OFA charges are comped. So the OFA fees for the prelim eval are comped. You still have to pay your attending veterinarian for the radiographs and so forth. That data is then saved. And then again, at 24 months old, when the dog becomes eligible for a regular full evaluation, we require another set of radiographs, send those in. Again, full regular OFA process. Assuming the dog passes, it would get an OFA hip number, et cetera. So all those pieces and parts that happen downstream at 12 months and 24 months follow the complete regular OFA process. But then the critical piece is that we will then feed those evaluations back to Dr. Cook's lab, and they can then compare the lab results from the urine sample and the serum sample, the biomarkers that they collected, and see how accurate those predictive values that they generated were against what the end diagnostics were based on radiography. I mean, again, we're talking holy grail, right, Dr. Cook? The amazing ability. When you take the x-ray and you see that piece and then you compare it over here to this other, that connection is incredible. Yeah, that correlation, I think, is what you're looking for. So what I love about that, so not only do we have the power of OFA as the registry and the connections and the ability to do that, but I love the way Eddie laid that out because the other coolest thing is that everything else is the normal OFA process. Mm -hmm. So if this works, we just plug it in. So it's going to be so convenient and so already formalized and familiar to dog owners. Right. We're going to do this a lot earlier, and we're going to do a blood sample that you're already getting in dogs at that time. You're getting your vaccinations. You're getting other stuff on your first wellness exam. Mm-hmm. And so we can just plug it into the system if it works, but then speed up the timeline for everything that we want to talk about to help those dogs to five months, six months of age. You know, could you talk to that just a little bit, Dr. Cook? Because I think that's really interesting. As a dog breeder, of course, I'm looking at it as a diagnostic, right? I want to know earlier what dogs maybe are not going to stay in the breeding program or something like that. 
you're thinking of it really more from the owner perspective in terms of how can I best help or treat a dog who is predicted to develop hip dysplasia? Yeah. And so both, I do want to say, you know, I mean, certainly this will do a great amount for synergizing with OFA's goal to decrease the prevalence of their musculoskeletal disorder. So we are looking at the population. And again, hey, you know, having that precise information at five months of age is amazing because we can make informed breeding decisions. We can talk about all those things that we go. But then let's talk about the patient because I want to say I also want to help the individual patient. Right. So a couple of different things. One is that if we know that at that time, there are preventative non-surgical and surgical interventions. But the amazing thing is there's great evidence that things like double pelvic osteotomy and juvenile pubic symptoms can help that individual patient. But they have to be done during skeletal immaturity. Interesting. So we have to have a diagnostic that tells us that while there's still a candidate to reverse it. And I would think weight and exercise and some of those things. Muscle building, yeah. So we can target those. So we can really implement directed physical therapy, nutritional components that can change the soft tissues that support the hips, which is really what then takes something that can be reversible and reverse it or mitigate the progression of that. And then besides that, then again, let's say we don't even do that or surgery is not something that the dog owner wants to pursue. And or, you know, we don't make that progress. We don't reverse it during that time frame. Again, we're still going to know before they go into really intense, emotional (laughs) and costly training programs. I mean, you know, the average military dog is about a quarter of a million to train. Yeah. And there's 7000 of those in the U.S. alone. And so, you know, just all those things. But then even for the person that wants to do weekend agility and stuff, you know, is that a reasonable expectation or do we need to think, you know, obedience? Right. Where they're not going to jump as much or what have you. So we can make those informed decisions for the dog, which is then going to help us with how we manage our expectations for what the dog will do and what we're going to do with the dog. So, yeah, I just love to think of it in that whole comprehensive approach. And I would say that's the other thing. Eddie's being very humble and gracious as always, but also with his help is able to present to the OFA board. And they really help with this intellectual understanding of that. It's like, Mm -hmm. how can we Mm -hmm. help every aspect for the dog owner to make, again, the population better. But at the end of the day, each dog help as well, too. I saw this come up on the website and I instantly messaged Eddie and we had a little communication. But now this has only been up and running for what, three months? Yeah, you know what? The recruitment process was sort of interesting because I'll be honest, I was a little leery and afraid of doing a lot of direct marketing, if you will, to the dog owners. I was Mm -hmm. afraid that we'd get flooded. So I tried initially to reach out to what we call here are sort of our high volume clinics. You know, there's a number of clinics all across the country that are just really well known for doing good OFA work and so forth. And so those are the kind of clinics that may send us a few hundred evaluations every month. So my initial take was to reach out to those clinics, figuring, okay, those attending veterinarians there would have a pretty good pulse on which ones of their clients were having puppies and so forth and try and do the enrollment through the clinics themselves. And, you know, we had a lot of clinics that were excited about it and said, oh, yeah, we'll keep that in mind. Well, of course, regular course of doing business and operating their clinics and their hospitals sort of made them forget about the whole thing. So after a a little bit of a false start, and of course, in the middle of all this, you also had COVID, (laughs) which impacted. I was going to say COVID definitely had something involved in this. Which, of course, had a little bit of uh, effect as well. So at any rate, the numbers weren't quite what we were hoping for. So we switched Mm -hmm. gears, I think, in right around September. And said, well, let's just put a post out there on the homepage 
and a Facebook post or two and just see what happens. Yeah. And that's when it took off. So we've really been doing it actively collecting enrolled puppies and samples since pretty much the September timeframe. Right. Just think in two years, I just can hardly stand it. <laughs> yeah. Us too. That's the only downside, right? Now we got to wait. It's all this gear up and we're super excited. And now we got to wait a little bit for the data to come out, but we'll have a little bit, especially because OFA with their amazing database, although it's not definitive and we won't make that, we'll get some good directional input and we'll say, you know, like, how good is this looking at the one-year mark? So we'll get at least a little mm-hmm. teaser in there to keep us going. Yeah. And Eddie, you can speak to this too, but my experience at any rate is the prelims usually are a pretty good indicator of what you're going to see it too. Yeah. So there are a couple things come into play. So mm-hmm. when was that prelim done? So obviously the reliability of a 12-month-old prelim is not going to be quite as reliable as an 18-month-old prelim. And obviously an 18-month-old prelim is going to be far more reliable right. than a six-month-old prelim. So you've got the age range to factor into the reliability equation. And then you also have the diagnostic outcome itself. So as an example, you know, if an 18-month-old young dog is getting an excellent, so their hips were really outstanding already at that point, you know, the chances that they're going to change dramatically and fail six months later or a year later, that's pretty low. But now let's look at that six-month-old puppy that's maybe only a fair or a 12-month-old that's only a fair. Now, the chances that it's going to improve dramatically are probably pretty low, and the chances that it's going to slide negatively are a little greater. So again, it's that whole scale. Where were they? So, Mm -hmm. you know, the higher they are on the passing side, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's a good or an excellent, chances Mm -hmm. are that they will remain normal is better. And the further they are on the negative side, so if they were a severely dysplastic young dog, you know, chances of a radical change at two years are pretty low. So you've got the scale to factor into the equation as well as the age of the of right. that. I don't want to call them a puppy because in prelims, we are talking about 18-month-old dogs, 20-month-old dogs, et cetera. So the reliability is affected by the age of the dog and where does it fall in that scale of normalcy? Got it. And here's a question. This is actually a listener question, and I know it's slightly off topic, but I'm going to run with it anyway. <laughs> when you send in those prelims and you have the OFA panel of veterinarians reviews those hip x-rays, then you send in a second set of x-rays. Does the second set of panel veterinarians go back and look at the prelim x-rays? Okay. So a couple clarifications. First thing is prelims. So x-rays that are come in on dogs that are under 24 months old are evaluated by a single radiologist. Oh, okay. So that's not done by a full panel. Got it. It's a single radiologist that does the reading. Excellent, good, fair, mild, moderate, severe. Got it. They do the rating, one and done. Dogs that are over 24 months are done by a panel. Mm -hmm. And there's also this misnomer of a panel being a group of radiologists sitting around a table in a room. None (laughs) of that is the case. All those readings are done completely independently. So one radiologist has no idea how the other radiologist is grading this particular dog. They're not physically located here at the OFA. So those radiologists are consulting pool. They're located all across the United States. And they're either in private specialty practice or in academia, where they're at various vet schools across the country and involved in teaching and so forth. All those readings are, it's important to point out, actually being done by boarded veterinary radiologists. So that the stories of just a general practitioner or vet students or something reading these films, those are all absolutely false. 
So going back to your original question, if there is at any point in time a resubmit, whether that's from prelim to of age or prelim to prelim or of age to of age, anytime that there's a resubmit, the veterinarians do have access to the prior images so that they can compare and look to see if there's any ongoing degenerative changes that they can see in the hip joint. And they have access to breed, sex, age, and they do have access to prior radiographic images as well. Okay. All right. Perfect. That was literally a listener question last night sitting on my deck. So (laughs) it was perfect. I'm like, hey, I bet you I can get you the answer to that question right now. (laughs) All right. Well, Dr. Cook, Eddie, thank you guys. This is amazing, amazing information. And I am fully already booking you for two years from now. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, maybe we can even do the one year-ish too. And Yes. Oh, that would be amazing. Get everybody motivated and thank everybody for enrolling their dogs and participating in this study. I mean, it really takes a village for this type of thing. And certainly OFA is a huge part of that village. Honestly, doing your podcast helps us a ton. And then we really thank the veterinarians and the pet owners that are buying into this because we won't get there without everybody. So really appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so very much. Look forward to talking to you more. All right, crew, are you excited for Westminster this year? I say, come join us for a breeder appreciation party on Friday, June 11th, being sponsored by Good Dog, Embark Vet, and Trupanion. We'll be outdoors at Hudson Anchor Rooftop, less than 10 minutes away from Westminster, and there will be free food, drinks, live music, giveaways from Chris Christensen, Revival Animal Health, and more. Plus, you can bring your dogs and celebrate the return of dog shows with lots of your fellow breeders. And P.S. If you didn't get the memo yet, Greenwich Kennel Club is hosting a weekend of standalone specialties just 30 miles down the road from Terrytown in Norwalk, Connecticut. I'll be floating around in all the places, and I can't wait to see everybody. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 